0: podcast where we explore good things in Everett washington my name is garrett hunt and i'm tyler chisholm and i'm producer henry j thanks so much for joining us on episode number 103 which is brought to you by milltown credit union you can check out their no annual fee visa credit card with a low 9.5 percent rate some restrictions may apply you can learn more at milltowncu.org or visit them at 3201 Broadway. Okay, so on today's episode, we're gonna share
1: events from the Weekly Goodness newsletter. Uh, Then we're gonna talk about what will happen or what could possibly happen or what we want to happen with the old Kimberly Clark site on the Everett waterfront. We're gonna play uh, probably my favorite interview of all time, sorry everyone else. It's the interview we did with Tammy Farber from Leadership Snohomish County. And then we're gonna play our first round of Everett Community College trivia. Let's go.
0: So let's take a look at some events happening around Everett from the weekly goodness, a weekly email newsletter letter we send out every single Monday. So Tyler, what is your event pick of the week?
1: So I am going to go to the Young Professionals Networking Night at the Port of Everett. It's tonight, Wednesday, April 3rd, starts at 5 p.m. Yeah, I just kind of want to go. See some people. They're gonna also have a panel with the four, uh, the top four finalists for the Herald Business Journal's Emerging Leader Award. Nice. Um, so it should be good. And I still technically qualify as a young professional, which is good to know because this goes up to age forty, in case you were wondering. And it's ten bucks to get in. Starts five. Think I already said that. Excited to see everybody. That's it. What about you guys?
0: Bada bing. Uh, I am gonna go with the Easter egg hunt this Saturday that the flying heritage museum is doing. They're going to be hiding eggs around the new hangar, Um, which sounds pretty cool. It's a little premature cause Easter's not until what the 23rd, I think somewhere around there. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it seems like there's multiple Easter events going on this weekend. So Are you're going to bring your season. baby. You know, I'm probably not actually gonna go. It's oh it says man, the age the age wow. groups start at. Well, I don't. She it, she can't walk. Yeah, it yet, would be weird so if you went without your baby. But then it would can. also
1: be weird if you went with your baby because.
0: Yeah, I think she's a little young still. <laughs> if 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 she was old enough, uh, then we would probably go. Maybe maybe next year. But there's two different age groups. They're doing one for ages uh, one to five, and then another one for ages six to ten. And, uh, so yeah, that's this Saturday at, uh, from 10 AM to 1 PM. And it just sounds like a fun way to look for Easter eggs, you know, around some old
2: vintage aircraft. Mm -hmm. Pretty
0: sweet. How about you, Henry?
2: Well, I think I'm going to go to the Everett Public Library Sunday at 2 p.m., which is right before WrestleMania, so I can't go. <laughs> WrestleMania is this, oh. this Sunday, by the way. Very oh. excited. Yeah, um, I'm going to be sitting on a couch for like six hours. Just what are you going to eat? Wrestling. Do you have your WrestleMania snack menu picked out? It's probably pizza rolls all day. <laughs> just get the party bag at Tost- Totino's Pizza Rolls oh, and man. just... Get some I sort of it. weird heart disease or something. Uh, I'll be there at the uh, Everett Public Library Sunday at two p.m. for "Beyond the Rebel Girl: The Role of Wobbly Women in the Pacific Northwest." Uh, in Pacific Northwest struggles. Very cool stuff. It spotlights uh, women wobblies in the labor struggles of the early 20th century, which I guess would include the Everett Massacre. Yeah, totally. So I feel like when you think of, you know, union workers, things like that, you think of men, right? Or unless it's like World War II and then there's like Rosie the Riveter. But you don't really think of women being a part of... The wobblies or you know, labor struggles or what have you. Totally. So I'm sure it'll be very interesting.
1: That sounds awesome. I think I want to try to make it to that too. That's Sunday at 2 p.m.
2: Yes. And uh, the talk will be given by the author of that book, Heather Mayer. So nice. That does sound
0: cool. I did forget to mention too on that Easter egg event I talked about. It's not in the weekly goodness but it is on our events
2: calendar. That's right. And if I don't think I saw it and if I did, I would have put it in there and I feel bad now. So I'm sorry, flying heritage museum.
0: Well, it's on the
2: calendar. So if, the role uh, <laughs> you
0: want to find details, it's there.
1: The role of wobbly women without any sort of context. sounds like a weird event.
0: What's a wobbly person? Well, that, that's one thing that's funny. I've been listening, uh, reading some Everett history stuff recently and, many people have commented that apparently no one knows why they were called Wobblies. Yeah. Cause it's the labor union, right? It's the, it's the IWW. I yeah. Think. The IWW It's the actual union. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's some speculation, but no one's actually sure like how they got the nickname Wobblies. Yeah, so like the,
2: like the double W Wobblies. Yeah. I'm sure there's something there. I'm just going to say again, the episode
1: of the dollop, <laughs> it's a podcast, the Everett massacre one where they talk about the Wobblies. It's really funny
0: i i did uh i did listen to that recently what do you think i did think it was pretty funny at the same time though on the other side of the coin i've been learning some other things in general about um the everett massacre and one of the most fascinating things i've learned is that for uh many many decades it was something that no one in everett talked about and it was like this Sent this thing that was uh, like deeply shameful mm. and I was reading this thing um, it Might have been on like the historic Everett website or something But they were talking about like David Dillgard who was the Everett Public Library's historian for decades mm. Like when he was growing up as a boy, he had like heard something about it and But it wasn't taught in like schools or anything No one talked about it and he went to the library and requested a book that I think may have talked about it And they like refused to even check it out to him weird And I think it said even the same for Jack O'Donnell, like he, he didn't know about it. Um, and it, so it was just interesting. Like, I feel like when I first heard about it in recent years and I felt like people almost seemed proud of it when they talked about it and I didn't really get it. Yeah, And I've come to learn that like, it's not that people are are proud of it or anything, but it's just the importance of kind of owning up to that moment in our history. Like, even if we are not proud of it, like it's a significant thing. And the ripple effects from that, um, uh, f- from the massacre too, you know, for, for decades and decades and people's lives be like, like that, that massacre represents, uh, such a, a nasty time in Everett's history. And there, there's people and families that, uh, still like won't go to Everett because hmm. like, there's like these deep rifts, like in their family history of, these horrible things that used to happen here and it was like such a corrupt uh town and so yeah i don't know like like the 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 dollop was very entertaining and it's fun and it's light but then on the other side of that coin like i've i guess started to understand more kind of like the deep significance and like the hurt and like the tragedy behind it all too totally that like isn't actually that funny you know and so it's like kind of like balancing those two things i guess
1: yeah what's I think so interesting about that dollop episode is it, it is um, it's like irreverent, but it's like so unbelievable some of the stuff and that happened because of the corruption in the city and Sheriff McCrae at the time, you know, and and what they what they did to people for organizing, it really makes me like um understand the importance of like organized labor. You know, in a more practical sense, you know.
0: Well, I think we're gonna have to make this our new life and Everett talk tonight. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry we can tangent. move on.
2: <laughs> well, that's what we picked out for this week. For more details and to get the weekly goodness sent directly to your inbox every Monday, just go to liveineverett. dot slash subscribe. Okay, so on
1: this week's Life and Everett, we're going to be discussing what will happen. With the site of the old Kimberly Clark building. For anyone who doesn't know a little bit of context for the old Kimberly Clark building, since now it's just a old uh a pit, formerly the Kimberly Clark building. We should give a little context. That is go ahead.
0: Yeah, so this is the land between oh, around 23rd to 26th Street, right along the waterfront in North Everett. It's, I believe, so, uh, an article uh, came out last week that the Herald put out and I believe they said there's about 56 acres that are left up for sale and there's two different organizations that are now, um, kind of battling between the land that each want it. Um, but I, I do just want to hi- highlight that 56 acres. It is a huge piece of land and, um, so it's, it's interesting because it became available a uh, number of years ago, but it was very contaminated with lots of nasty things that have been getting cleaned up for years. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting that it's been sitting there for years and now two different people want it. Who are the organizations that want it? So one is the Port of Everett. Um, and then uh, let's see, I'll, I'll read this little clip from uh, this Herald article. So uh, the port argues it's the best fit uh, for the Navy because this property is right next to uh, the Navy base. Uh, So the port argues it's best. It's the best fit for the Navy and overall commerce. It's plan focuses on maritime freight shipyard capabilities and support for Naval Station Everett. Uh, And then on the other side, uh, the other organization, uh, former Everett mayor Ray Stephenson has signed on to work for the other side uh, a partnership between Pacific Steve Doring and an undisclosed partner of the PAC Steve vision would bring two or three corporate headquarters to the site with warehouses and trucking facilities next to a, a working wharf. So uh, yeah, Pacific Steve Doring or, or PAC Steve, I guess is this other organization. So yeah, kind of interesting. They, they hired former former Everett mayor Ray Stephenson as a consultant smart Uh, to work with them. That is pretty smart. (laughs) Um, you know, so they, they're saying, I think they're estimating that in their plans of, of headquartering these two or three different uh, corporations there would provide around a thousand jobs. Um, and then I believe the port is saying that what they want to do would also provide jobs, but it's a very long article. It's, it's a good article There's a lot there. It sounds like the port isn't quite sure what they would want to do yet. Initially, I think it would be used as just like a holding area, and uh, it sounds like the port is much more sensitive to the Navy bases' kind of needs and regulations. And they're kind of saying that they're they're the right partner for it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's
1: kind of kind of interesting. So I think it's important to mention that neither one of the plans. So no, basically nobody's going to build like a water slide park with water slides that drop off into the I water. wish
0: it's going to be industrial. It's going to be industrial. Apparently it is a very deep water there at that port, which is pretty unique. And so, um, apparently they do want to reserve it for industrial use. And
1: I think that was a few years ago that they decided that, right? I remember a few years ago, it's probably been like five years now, actually four years probably
0: yeah it's, it's probably been at least four or five years since they ripped down kimberly clark and they announced that they were going
1: to zone it for commercial use mm-hmm. and people were bummed out about that because we all want a beautiful sandy beach
0: yeah i would love it if they could even reserve even just a small part of it for public use you know because it's probably about the closest waterfront access to downtown everett which I think is kind of special. Um, And, you know, it's got, I was looking at the map and I don't know exactly how much uh, frontage the property has along the waterfront, but it looked like probably around 1500 feet or so. I mean, it's a massive piece of property. So I thought, "Eh, could they carve out, you know, maybe just a couple hundred feet for, for the public. Um,
2: I really doubt that'll happen, but it would be sweet. Well, we were talking before We started recording that, you know, with all the changes coming to the waterfront now from the port, you know, uh, building up what's around like, uh, scuttlebutt and all that. Mm -hmm. I really feel that there's like a need for that because it's so isolated. You have to go like around the Navy base to get to that, that piece of land. And while it's like close to two, it's the closest to downtown. It just, and then you have like, you know, you have. Navy base. And then there's like another warehouse. And then it's like the port is down there. You yeah, know? yeah. So like totally. how, how scenic could you get? Totally.
1: That's how I feel about it too. Like I feel that the community residents, I think would like to see it used for some sort of quality of life thing that we can enjoy. Um, like the Seattle waterfront or something, but that is being created, you know, a mile up the road. I do feel like if, there were to be some sort of public beach or public something down there. It would always be sort of in the shadow of the Navy base and,
2: you know, the shipping lane and all of that. Right. And we do have, you know, we have jetty Island and I'm sure like once I know that I was reading the other day that I think ever transit opened up a new, a new bus line or like reinstated one or put more buses on one that goes from college station down Marine view drive and to the every Station here. So that just runs back and forth all summer to take people to Jetty Island, to the waterfront. So it's not that nice. hard to get down there, too. You could just hop on a bus. Away you go. Totally. Yep, it's true. All right, fine. You guys win. Although it would be really cool to have like well, another thing that we were talking about uh, off the air was that You know, it would be cool to have, like, a Santa Cruz-style boardwalk with, like, a Ferris wheel. Totally. You know, it would be so
1: neat. It would be so cool to be able to walk from downtown to the waterfront, you know, and have it be connected. And San Francisco is like that. Um, Seattle is like that, definitely. Yeah, Seattle is like that. And um, I feel like, unfortunately, because we have that big Navy base there, and then the seaport right there, too, it would that area is always going to be between those two like
2: industrial Goliaths, you right. know? And you know, they bring in so much money to the city. Yeah. A lot of jobs for and a, sure. And a lot of jobs a lot too. Of jobs. So you yeah. can't get rid of that. Do you guys have a preference of, um,
0: which organization gets it?
1: Whichever one is going to pay the most in live in Everett advertising. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, we, we need that. We need those checks. We need those those logistical <laughs> fishing logistic checks. Um, I looked up Pac Steve Pacific Steve Doring Inc, and their website is from like 1996, and it's pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know what they do. It seems like they just build like big. Have you guys never heard things. of Steve Doring before? I just looked this up. Steve Doring. I don't know. <laughs> Pacific, what is Steve Doring? Is that, a? I thought that was like, like a dude's name. Is that like an industry? <laughs> Steve Adores, our uh, longshoremen. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. Haven't you ever seen The Wire? No. Well, now you know. Now I know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Whatever, whatever is going to look cooler.
0: Yeah, I think I guess this, I, one one thing I I don't know if I have a big preference or yeah know of the unique differences enough. One thing that I do like about Pack Steve is just um, having a more diverse waterfront because the port owns so much of the waterfront already. Um, I, I think oh would it be nice to have uh, some other organizations there just to diversify a little bit. Um, is is one thought. But then on the flip side of that, one thing I'm not crazy about is that when they talk about pack Steve, they also talk about how they have, uh, an undisclosed partner. Um, Mm. you know, and I don't know a lot about large business dealings like this, but I don't know. Why is the partner need to be undisclosed? Like why the secrecy? Right. It's probably Steve Ballmer. (laughs) I don't know. No, I don't know. It's probably
1: um, the Sultan of Brunei. It's probably a, brother. A, a Bond villain. It's probably the Hamburglar. <laughs> Have you thought about that? It could be the Hamburglar. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the specific Steve Adorian website. And full disclosure, I haven't read this article yet. I've been re- relying on this interview for you guys to, uh, or this episode for you guys to fill me in. Um, Pacific Stevedoring looks like a privately owned sort of shipping and logistics company.
2: So I will say this, not, I want to, I want to retract my statement. I said, whatever will be coolest will look the coolest. That's a stupid thing. That's like a millennial thing to say. (laughs) I don't know that it is. I mean, that's a fair perspective for a resident. Whatever brings more jobs here. So you're about the jobs. Yes. Specifically, this is this is me being a a politician pragmatist, whatever brings more more work to our lovely city and on the water. So, yeah, whoever's going to bring more in, that would be whoever's
0: going to install the most water slides.
2: Yep. It is a tough call. Right. Because I do think that if there
1: was like a private logistics and shipping company, there are more jobs, but those are union longshoremen jobs and those are good. They're good living wage paying jobs. And you know, it's just going to be more shipping vessels coming in and unloading stuff that has been imported in versus if the port gets it, I don't know. They're talking about having the Navy using it for more Navy stuff. I mean, either way it's going to be, it's not like it's going to be creating something beautiful that we get a delight in as residents. Right.
2: But we kind of do because you know, it creates more opportunities for people to work, work, living wages Mm -hmm. and in turn grow the economy here. Totally. So yeah. But with the Navy, a lot of those, a lot of the people in the Navy won't put down roots here. They'll be here. They'll go around the world. So totally. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of a trade off. Gosh, what a hot button issue.
0: <laughs> so one thing that is kind of interesting, uh, it's a very long and thorough article, but there's been uh what you would maybe call a couple jabs done by each organization towards e- each oh, other. No. Fill me in. Yeah, what's um, the hot goss? So uh, let's see. Uh, well, well, one thing they talk about is apparently the port, had a bunch of um local like mayors and politicians like write letters of support for the port to acquire this property but apparently they didn't inform people that there was another organization interested in the property like they didn't know about that Hmm. um which is kind of interesting that's not the best (laughs) (laughs) yeah one one thing they talk about Is uh, As as far as the letters for support and whatnot, one thing that was absent uh, were uh, leaders from Snohomish County uh, and the city of Everett. Um, They said that the city of Everett, uh, they support redevelopment, but they're staying neutral as to who carries that out.
2: Um, That's really interesting that nobody from Everett, I guess the city of Everett. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's not that interesting because that's private land or is that city owned land? I believe it's private land. Right. So I guess it's whatever it's going to happen.
0: You figure whoever acquires it is going to become a customer for the city of Everett as far as, uh, you know, property taxes go and stuff. And so, yeah, I wonder if. Yeah, I mean, it it probably will be good for for the city's tax base. Um, but. Yeah, maybe they figure they would rather not ruffle feathers if it's going to be someone they're going to have to work with long term. I think that's a smart move by the city. Totally. That's actually one thing that, sorry, this is like a side note, but it always, it seems kind of strange to me when, for example, when like Mayor Franklin was running for mayor and then you have departments of the city, like the fire department, for example, that come out in support of um, a specific candidate Um, but, but then someone else gets elected and then now you publicly kind of came out like against your new mayor, like, I don't know. It's a whole other, whole other conversation, but yeah, it's kind of, one thing I learned
1: from one of my dear friends, councilman Paul Roberts, if you want to be involved in politics and you want friends, it's best to just get a dog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's pretty smart advice. Uh, That sounds like the way to play it, I suppose.
1: (laughs) And that would be hard for me. I'm an agreeable person. I feel like I, and I'm, I'm generally neutral on, on things. So, um, I just want everyone to win. I'd be a terrible politician. I'd be like, why don't you guys share the space?
2: And we're going to use this platform now to announce that Tyler Chisholm is running for city council.
1: And Um, my message that I'm running on is, uh, there's enough to go around. Um, You know, I know this is a vermin supreme uh, idea, but free ponies for everybody. Pratachism 2020.
0: Vote for me. There you go. And then the other um, possibly controversial thing that the article talks about, too, is that uh, Pac-Steve did a survey where they kind of collected some information uh, kind of in support of them. Uh, being s- selected, but then I believe the port did not like how the survey was conducted and how they went about it. And so, yeah, there, there's just been kind of some back and forth rivalry uh, over the properties. So this it'll, is, it'll
2: be interesting. This is the worst storyline heading into WrestleMania, is this right here? <laughs> <laughs> my wrestling joke. I don't, I, you know, put him in a steel cage, <laughs> <laughs> let him duke it out. Let him duke it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you got to, I don't know. Arm wrestle over I it. I feel like it,
1: the port needs to come up with a plan. What do you want to do with it specifically?
2: Yeah. Do you want it to be the Navy? Do you want it to be something else? Let us know. Let the citizens of Everett know what you want it to be.
0: Yeah. I'd be curious to know what all of you listening would like it to be. Oh, that's the hottest segue of 2019. What do you want to happen to the old Kimberly Clark building? Drop us a line through social media or leave us a voicemail. Tyler, did you have something else you wanted to add?
1: I just want to throw it out there. A better version of the Great Wolf Lodge called the Greatest Wolf Lodge.
0: Whoa. There you go. Think about it. The Greatest Wolf Lodge, option number three. Let us know what you think. Drop us a voicemail,
2: 425-341-3731. Community Transit is proud to announce that Swift Green Line is now open, bringing connections you can count on to Everett, Mill Creek, and Bothell. Buses arrive every 10 minutes. You don't even need a schedule. Learn more at communitytransit.org slash rideswift.
1: Okay, so today on the Live in Everett podcast, this is probably um, the interview that I've been looking forward to the most. Uh, Today on the show, we have Tammy Farber. Tammy is the Senior Director of Equity Training and Development for Leadership Snohomish County. Before she was with Leadership Snohomish County, she was with the YMCA. Uh, Tammy, I feel like you are the racial equity expert in Snohomish County, and I have uh, known of you for quite a while, and recently I've been able to work with you through some of our work with Leadership Snohomish County, and uh, it's an honor to have you Mm. here today. Thank you. Uh, I do want to say that I'm really nervous about this conversation. I don't know if you've noticed this about Garrett and I, but we're about as wide as you can get. It. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <Slightly>. <laughs> we're both wearing flannel today. Uh, we both blonde hair, blue eye. I grew up in Marysville. Garrett grew up in, in uh, the Seven Lakes area. One thing that I think is interesting is uh, Garrett and I feel like we're often on like similar parallel tracks with our discovery and the things that our hearts are feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes us great teammates, you know. And uh the issue of race is something that we've both been talking about a lot is, you know, wanting to be good community leaders and running an organization and coming to terms with our whiteness is like Mm -hmm. the way that I would say Mm -hmm. it. And I don't know if that's even the appropriate way to say it. And that's what I want to talk about today. Yep. And, um, so two things, I feel like I'm going to want to externally process my white guilt through Mm -hmm. this conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I want you to do the talking today because we need Mm -hmm. to listen to you. So I want to just kind of give you permission to call me out if I do that. Great. And, uh, the second thing is, um, I got, I just have to say, I'm like nervous again. Mm -hmm. I just want to just stress that. Like I don't, When I talk about race, I notice I get like quiet, like I'm saying, I'm going to say something wrong. And as a white guy, I'm afraid of being wrong and I'm afraid of, um, the political backlash that can come from saying Mm -hmm. something wrong Mm -hmm. in today's world. And I feel like that's right. Mm -hmm. We should feel that way. I just want to register that. Yeah. And, uh, one thing I know about you and I love about you is you're so direct and it's so easy to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. And That's when I'm excited and thrilled to have you here for today. Anyway, that was a super long intro. Garrett, do you have anything?
0: <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just echo that. And especially just on the part of, um, I think, yeah, for, for me, like this is a, a difficult conversation to talk about race public publicly, but I think it's extremely important. Yeah. And so I'm super excited for you to be here today and I'm excited to listen and um, yeah, I would love to kick off with just uh, if you could share a bit of an overview and give us a little more about who you are and what you do.
3: Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me here. And also just to thank you for the willingness to engage. in, yes, is a difficult conversation, but it, it, this is a life or death conversation. And unfortunately, we're, we're losing too many lives by not engaging in the conversation. Um, the other piece that, um, well, there are a few things that I was thinking about Tyler, when you were, you know, giving your intro, um, and, you know, seeing me as a racial equity expert. uh, And one of the things that I always say is that I am not an expert that I am a practitioner of, Mm. um, that this is something I identify as, you know, a white anti-racist organizer. Um, and I'm committed to this work, um, really professionally um, but it's something that I'm committed to in my daily life from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep recognizing as a white person I have the privilege to choose to engage in that or choose to not when and if I want to or not Um, and so for me it's very intentional Um, and so thank you for seeing me that way and and You know, I always love to begin and just, you know, start with acknowledging the land in which we're on and the Snohomish peoples and the opportunity to be here and to be speaking about this today. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because it ties into the history that's very specific um, to the United States. And so I've been a Resident of Snohomish County for for six years, I came here, um, as mentioned, uh, through for work with the YMCA's of Snohomish County, one of our VPs, and was helping to support our equity efforts and inclusion efforts um, through the Y. And then just recently joined the I say small but mighty team of leadership Snohomish County, and so. If folks haven't already been able to tell, once I get going, you will definitely be able to tell. I am not from the Pacific Northwest, although I do believe it is my home now. I'm married to someone here. I've you know established roots here. Uh, but I am a full-on New York Jew. <laughs> <laughs> and you will hear it as soon as I get going. Um, so I'm third generation born. Uh, my family came from Russia and Poland through Ellis Island and landed in Brooklyn. And so I was born in the Bronx, raised in Mount Vernon, which is just north of the Bronx, and grew up... Um, sort of straddling multiple identities. Uh, grew up in an extremely diverse neighborhood um, where now I would say majority of um, the neighborhood and the demographics are Black, African-American, Afro-Caribbean, African, uh, Haitian communities. Um, so there was, you know, kind of growing up in, you know, amongst that community, but then also um, being part of, a, you know, ethnically, culturally, religiously part of a Jewish community. Um, and so, again, navigating kind of these multiple identities um, that I think not I think, I know, really shaped and informed who I am. And so even though I grew up in an extremely diverse environment, um, now that I'm older and with the work that I've done, really reflecting back how many messages I was constantly receiving that in some way, shape, or form, I was my family and I, we were better than. Um, and better than in, you know, from a racial standpoint, and in some respects, even better than from a religious and class um, affiliation. And so I've you know been doing this work for a long time. I uh, spent many years um, doing international development work, a uh, social worker by background. But I spent you know 13 plus years, most of those years living in other parts of the world, primarily in South a- uh, South Asia and East and Southern Africa. And it was I think it was during those times, and particularly uh, where I began to really recognize. The extreme disparities that exist um, in this world—that um, you, you know, growing up with a tremendous amount of privilege, um, class privilege, and then certainly other privileges that came with that—and um, knowing poverty existed, seeing it in some respects in my neighboring communities, but then to go to you know developing nations—I uh, think that was when there was a definitely a big awakening for me. Um, I also often talk about when I tell my story that. Um, Prior to that, uh, I spent many years running around, falling, Grateful Dead. I was a total like hippy-dippy kid, but <laughs> yeah, I, I totally often <laughs> I often share that part of my story, um, not for all the wild and crazy things that I did, but it was it. I think it spurred some of my activism roots. Mm-hmm. I think that it spurred a sense of what does it mean to be part of intentional community, sustainable living, and so I, I do believe that it greatly influenced um, and had me step out of um, sort of mm-hmm. the reality world in which. You know, I was living in and began to question things, question government, question politics, question things I've been taught. Um, and so then fast forward, um, really going with my journey, there's been a number of transitional periods where I've been in deep contemplation and questioning. And I think in particular as white folks, it is so critical that we spend a lot of time in contemplation, critical thinking, and questioning. Mm. Questioning our beliefs, questioning our perceptions, questioning our behaviors, questioning what we read, what we see on television, um, questioning our policies, our practices, our procedures, our leadership, all you know, styles, all things like that. Um, which led me to um, another you know, sort of transitional period of wanting to, you know, really re-root back in the United States, and that was very intentional because I recognized that in the U.S. Um, we had a very specific um, narrative in, in the United States, um, a country that was founded off of a race construct, um, and we can get into that a little bit more as we talk about you know, what is race, ra- racism, racial equity, things like that. But knowing that this country was founded off of a race construct, and there were significant forms of oppression related to race, class, gender, uh, mm-hmm. gender identity, sexual orientation, religious affiliation, I mean, the list goes on. And seeing really the problems and having a deeper understanding of the root of the history of those problems, and then seeing how there was just this trickling ripple effect globally um and here i was spending all these years um as a white person a little bit maybe even a lot with the white savior complex of here i am i'm going to do good and i'm going to go into these poor black and brown communities or to these poor countries around the world where people are starving and i'm going to sort of come and save the day um and realizing that actually i was contributing to the upholding and maintaining of division and mm-hmm. oppression and things that exist um and that uh, really what was needed was for me to come back and root myself in the united states and begin to engage um, particularly in white communities um, and to have these difficult and hard conversations um, mm. that most of us want to stay away from because you know as white folks um, one we were taught to not think about these things um, totally. and taught to yep. not have to engage so
0: right yeah. that's been one of the big challenges for me is. You know, I I remember as a kid in elementary school, and in fact, for Martin Luther King Day, we all wrote out essays, and mine got picked to read in front of the whole school, and were taught about how slavery ended, racism ended, you know? And then as I've got older, like, to be honest, it was um, was a couple years ago when the whole Charlottesville Mm -hmm. riots happened, and there was that Vice video that just, like, really shook me to the core of, like, whoa, racism is still such a major problem which is so terrifying is yeah just growing up in in this world Mm -hmm. thinking that that was just a thing of the past Mm -hmm. and then more and more in our culture and society just seeing all these things and realizing like wow there's a big issue here Mm -hmm. but not really having any education or anything around how to handle that Mm -hmm. and um I already forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> that's okay. No, yeah, just they're... being
3: able to name that is important.
0: But yeah, uh, yeah. I guess just this idea that yeah, we were we were raised In to not to a post- mm-hmm. racial mm-hmm. society, right? Yep. Like, yeah.
1: Because when we were growing up, to say I don't see color was like a progressive thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and now that's part of the thinking that way is part of the problem. Absolutely. And like my. I'm like just starting to understand that. And I consider myself to be a, like a woke pro- progressive. I was raised by a <laughs> badass single mom who was yep. super progressive and like but my understanding on this kind of stuff and what I think I think it I think that my perception of myself being progressive has actually caused me to be complicit in yes. systemic institutional racism. Yes. And I feel like I just learned that. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking yeah. to me.
3: Well, and, I, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. And I think also because I grew up poor, the idea of white privilege to me was like yeah. off the table. Yeah. Because I wasn't privileged. Yep. I had to work my ass off for everything. I was raised in like poverty and addiction and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. And uh, it took me like being an adult and going through a little bit of social mobility to be able to understand like all the hardship that I faced in my life Mm -hmm. I was always a guy Mm -hmm. I was always white Mm -hmm. and I live in a in a society that is built to favor Mm -hmm. white guys Mm -hmm. Um, and here I am processing my white guilt as I said I was going to do on this show and I'm trying not to do Uh, well I
3: think it's you know here's the thing I mean it's like that you know Often, you know, I've, I've sat in trainings or workshops and they'll do, you know, shared agreements. And, you know, one of them, will, you know, people will put out no judgment. And I'm like, oh, well, good luck. I'm like, I, I wake, the moment I wake up, I'm judging. I judge in my dreams. I mean, we're judging machines. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the power is when we recognize the judgments and we can suspend them and do some reflection around what is this judgment? What is it about? Where is it coming from? Why am I feeling this way? And so, even with something like white guilt, um, could actually be a catalyst for deeper growth and transformation Mm -hmm. and taking action. The problem is, and with most white folks, is we tend to get stuck and live in it. Um, and and so there's even guilt on top of the guilt because I feel guilty that I'm feeling guilty and then you know we sort of get paralyzed and then as opposed to just naming like here's what I'm experiencing here's what's coming up and then opportunities I mean we're sitting in a room of a whole bunch of white folks but the opportunity for us to engage in conversation of well where do we think the guilt comes from not from a place of like judgment but a place of like waking up and awareness of like okay got it and then so what now what how do I move forward you know from that
1: yeah totally so racial equity yes. right so you and i were in a retreat a couple of days ago mm-hmm. and one of the first things that we noticed in that retreat was when you start talking about racial equity everybody has a different idea of what yeah. that actually means i have i i think i have an idea of what it means because mm-hmm. i've seen some infographics about it
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> you know
1: and uh and you know From your perspective, can you please just tell us the definitive what is racial equity?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, defining, it's important to define, you know, what race and racism is. And unfortunately, this isn't a long enough podcast to to go into sort of a deep analysis and around terminology and and all these things. But what I will simply say, um, first, I, I really want to acknowledge the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, an organization that's based out of New Orleans, um, and they are they're really rooted in community organizing and organizing around undoing systemic racism, and they provide a two day training called undoing institutional racism in fact, we hold them here in Snohomish County, which is where I really developed my um, anti racist analysis from hmm. um, and so i'm i 'm really speaking from um, just wanting to acknowledge and honor um, them, but also naming sort of where my analysis comes from. And so when we speak of racial equity, you know, when you look at social determinants, when you look at educational outcomes, when you look at health outcomes, if you look at transportation, housing, I mean, you kind of go across the list. I mean, there are disparities across any given sector, right, that I just named and and then some. And it tends to be um, that you can determine those disparities primarily based on race it's always the sort of number one factor um you know why is it that in snohomish county when you look at the percentage of the black african-american or even african community in snohomish county is quite small but when you look at who's you know um in denny in our in our youth jail um it is predominantly you know children of color particularly black you know youth and so mm-hmm. as you know sometimes when i look at the numbers i think it I can't even do the numbers. I can't do the math because it doesn't even seem that it's like humanly possible. Um, if you look at educational outcomes, again, most often, number one predictor for those who, you know whether it's graduation rates or um, dropout, suspension rates, all those things, um, the rates are always higher um, in, you know, amongst young people of color. And so when we talk about racial equity, what we're really talking about is working toward outcomes where no longer race can be a predictor. Right? That it regard whether it was education, whether it was health, whether it was housing, whatever that may be, but that race can no longer be a predictor as an outcome for why we're seeing, you know, um, people not succeeding as well necessarily as others. And so it's a recognition that race is in this country is usually the number one predictor, you know, when it comes to outcomes in regards to disparities and inequities that we see.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, what does that? look like because you do a lot of like training and Mm -hmm, coaching mm -hmm. on this subject Mm -hmm. and so what does it look like to make improvements in racial equity in our society
3: yeah um big question uh i don't even know how many improvements i'll we'll get to see in this lifetime um Mm. you know it's so first, it's understanding. I mean, when we when we talk about racism or we hear the term like racist, we immediately, you know, it's like the white hoods, you know, KKK, white nationalists, neo Nazis, you know, white nationalists. Um, and yes, that is an extreme form of you know how racism can play out, um, how one can quote unquote define what a racist is. Um, but that's sort of really like the extreme end. And I think it's important to understand that first of all, that race um, is a social construct, but that racism is actually a system. It's an arrangement, Mm. right? And so it's not, it's, you know, yes, you could have a quote unquote racist behavior, um, but really behaviors, Um, actions, mindset kind of can cut across. I mean, people could be bigoted, prejudiced, mean, nasty, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of anything. And so I think it's really important to understand that that race and racism, that this is a construct and it's a system, it's an arrangement, right? So all of our institutions, all of our systems, all of our laws that exist um, are embedded within this system, in this arrangement. And really what the system simply is, is to ensure that that white folks, right, and this is where it can get really controversial and a lot of people would push back, but to really ensure that the quote-unquote white race maintains a sense of superiority, um, and that anyone not white, particularly black, and I would say indigenous people, you know, I mean, we literally tried to eradicate, Mm -hmm. um, but we wanna make sure that we keep them as oppressed and marginalized and sort of at the bottom of the ranks, you know, as we can. And so it's that recognition that within this system all of our institutions, if you think about who had first had access to education mm-hmm. or who sort of started the whole social welfare or social work movement, you know, white wealthy women. I mean, so it's it's that understanding that that's where our roots are. And even though we may have evolved and come a long way, we don't. Necessarily see racial segregation in the way, same way, or you know, we're not seeing lynching in the same way. Even though you know, as you were saying, like you know, sort of realizing, wow, racism is totally still alive and well. We are not a post-racial society by any means, but that even our institutions or organizations today um, still very much are you know, sort of rooted in that racialized system. Um, not to say it's intentional. I think a lot of folks mean to do well and do good and think they are, but don't recognize um, how unjust a lot of the work that we do or how problematic and how harmful a lot of the work that we do still exist, even in well-meaning, you know, institutions.
2: It is time for Everett Trivia. We are running down questions about Everett Community College, which uh, we all went to. Go Trojans. Go Trojans. Thank you so much to Catherine Schiffner and the team at EVCC for making all of these questions, all 10 weeks of questions that we get to run through. Both of you ready? Ready. I just want
1: to say that if I win this round of Everett Trivia, I would love an honorary degree from Everett Community College if they're listening.
2: It's like
0: a doctorate
2: or something.
1: No, it doesn't need to be anything fancy. I just want an honorary
2: degree. An honorary associate's degree from every uh, Everett CC. That'd be great, or maybe I don't a, have that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe like an honorary specialty degree, like best at trivia. <laughs> Wait, Kara, did you
2: graduate from EVCC? I
0: did. All right, yeah, I got my uh, associates there. My my two year degree only took me nine years. <laughs> nice, well, going make, on and off.
2: That makes two of us, I guess. <laughs> Good for you, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I just dropped out of college, so <sighs> here we are. Now I'm
2: depressed. Sorry, Tyler.
1: Now there's thousands of people
2: listening to us play trivia about college right now. Well, here we go. Question one. Every community college opened in A, 1925, B, 1932, C, 1941, or D, 1948. What year did every community college open? And Garrett used to be a security guard at EVCC, so I feel like Garrett may have the upper hand. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's true. I
0: I used to be at EVCC seven days a week for years, because I went to school there on weekdays, and then I worked there. Uh, First, my first job was there when I was 15 years old in the summers. I was a groundskeeper and... Maintenance, And then that turned into being a custodian. And then that turned into working in the uh, security department on the weekends. Did you so ever
1: have to take down any
0: perps? Only ones named Tyler Chisholm. <laughs> Probably. Okay. Here so we go. 1925,
2: 1932,
1: 1941, or
2: 1948.
0: No copy in me,
2: Tyler. Tyler's writing. He's circling. He's crossing it out. He's rewriting again. All right, here, here we go. Here, I'm going to say 1941. That's what I said. That is correct. 1941. Yes. All right. Question two. EVCC President David Byer is the college's longest-serving president. When he retires in June, how long will he have worked for the college? 18 years, 13 years, seven years, or five years? How long has David Byer, president of EVCC, worked for the college? Would you like those again? No, I'm good. Okay.
0: I'm not. I'm, I, I have two primary guesses. I decided to go with 13. What What'd you say, Tyler? 18. It's 13. Damn it.
2: I knew it, I knew it was one of those two. Taking the early lead. All right, here we go. Every community college educated how many students last year for all types of classes, credit and non-credit? How many students were educated at EVCC last year? 5,000? 7,500, 11,000, or 19,000. Oh my gosh. How many students? And that's credit and non-credit too. So, And there are three camp- campuses? Camp I? What is the camp- plural <laughs> of campus? Campuses. <laughs> Campuses-es. uh, so lay it on me, brother. What were those options again? Sure. Uh, 5,000, 7,500, 11,000, or 19,000. All right, I've got it.
1: What do
0: you guess, Tyler?
1: I'm going to say that like, my rule of thumb with this is to always guess the highest number.
0: That's, that's what I did. 19, but I 000. didn't, because 19,000 oh. seemed a little bit too
1: high for me, so I guessed 11,000.
0: 19,000.
2: Oh, man, I should have stuck to my guns. Garrett, you can't squander this early lead that you have. This might
1: be
0: the first time I've ever been <laughs> undefeated.
1: <laughs> this is why you
2: don't sway from the Chisholm Principle in multiple choice trivia. The Chisholm Principle. Well, that'll be in full effect next week for round two, so stick around for that.
0: A huge thanks to all of you who already support us on Patreon. We love you. You are awesome. Uh, If you do want to help support us through Patreon, even a dollar a month helps us deliver stories, videos, and this here podcast about the good things in Everett every single week. If you want to learn more, uh, right over on our website, liveineverett.com, you can just click on the yellow bar at the top of the page and
2: uh, you can help support us uh, starting at only $1 per month. That is true. I'm a Live and Everett Patreon supporter. I'm you a are patron of Live and Everett, and I work here.
0: Yeah, thanks for the support. I
2: tried to sign up to be a patron, but it wouldn't let me because
0: it's like you own this account. You nice. can't
2: support yourself. <laughs> so that's how much we care. So hopefully you care too. Um, thanks so much for hanging out on the Live and Everett podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please help others discover it as well by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. It actually does help a bunch. If you'd like to drop us a line, you sure can. Podcast at liveineverett.com or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. Please leave
1: us a voicemail, 425-341-3731. Operators
2: Sorry. are standing by, 425-341-3731. <laughs> thanks for joining us today.
0: <laughs> Huge thanks to Tammy Farber, Allerolf Army for our theme music, and our producer, Mr. Henry J.
1: Good things happen in Everett because of you, so thanks so much for listening and being a part of this wonderful city have a great week
3: this is why we're ever till the, the grave, grave.